All right, Christopher here. Welcome to Do Explain. Before we begin, I'd like to thank my current supporters who inspire me to carry on with this project and make it financially viable as well. I'm very grateful to all of you. Big hugs. And while I'm not in the business of telling people what to do, I can't share my vision for Do Explain going forward. I like to work on the podcast full time instead of just a few days a month. I want to build a real platform for the fun and friendly exchange of interesting ideas. And I want to do it ad-free, if possible, because I don't want any ideas to be off-limits for us to explore, and I also want to keep saying dumb shit without repercussions. But to do this, I'll need a steady income, and that's why I need your help. So if you enjoy what I'm doing here, and you want to join me in my vision and become a part of growing this project, consider going over to patreon.com slash doexplain and sign up to become a monthly supporter. All right, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, we're back in black, me and Jake. How you doing, man? I'm excellent, man. Yeah, it's been a while now, I feel like. Well, well, it's not been a while since you and I spoke. It's been a while since you and I spoke publicly, but, but there have been many, many <laughs> yeah. uh, continuations of the conversation offline so hopefully we can we can bring some of it to the podcast yeah i mean on the on the personal front i'm harassing you with consciousness questions left and right i think we talk three times a week or something and in between i send you my voice messages so yeah none of which i have especially good answers to but it's always fun to be driven to uh to try to come up with them so that's what i'll that's what i'll do honestly man dude i gotta call you out on that i i think you are completely wrong about that it's absolutely not true. I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot. Okay, okay. Well, Don't downplay I, I, yourself, bro. I, 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 uh, I benefit a lot from you, you driving me to come up with answers to questions that I, I haven't thought about before. So we'll see, we'll see if that, that works out today. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So um, part four today, and we're going to center it around... Robert Keegan's uh, stages of adult cognitive development as our base there. And um, I thought we could get get right in, basically, but I thought maybe it could be cool if you wanted to do a, um, yeah, like a previously on the Chapman series sure, where yeah. you can like <laughs> a high, uh, high overview perhaps of just the terrain we've been over so far and then how this new puzzle piece is going to tie into this and and why it matters to talk about this and then uh we take it from there okay okay i'll see how much i can remember so um i'll fill you in uh, okay we're talking about the work of david chapman um who has a number of blogs uh slash web books um the two big ones that we've been talking about have been meaningness uh and in the cells of the eggplant um and meaningness concerns common misconceptions about uh the way people think and act in relation to uh, existential meaning so like questions of meaning in life and purpose and ethics and value and mm-hmm. uh in the cells of the eggplant takes a, a very similar point of view but is is specifically addressing um formal rationality and and misconceptions about rationality and its application um and so we've been sorting out the implications of that view 
um, broadly where David is coming from is uh, these sort of, uh, well, his background is, is, is as an AI researcher um, and uh, also as a Vajrayana Buddhist. And those two lenses heavily inform the way he comes at these subjects. Um, and so we've been, initially we were trying to sort of sort out the differences between his view and the, the Deutschian view, because that's your, your sort of big reference point. And that was a major impetus for me to come to understand, uh, David Chapman's work better was comparing right. and contrasting it to David Deutsch's work. Um, and yeah, yeah. Chapman has a critique of rationalism, which he, he defines somewhat specifically in, in line, not with the Bay area rationalists or the sort of colloquial use of rationalism, but, but the specifics philosophical lineage of, of rationalism. Um, so, so, so Chapman has a critique of that, that I think applies to some degree to the Deutschian view. So we've tried to sort that out and, uh, yeah. Um, and then in terms of s- sort of situating what we'll talk about today with respect to that larger body of work. So we're going to talk about uh, Robert Keegan's work on adult development. And and you said you said adult cognitive development, which is often true. But but one of the interesting things, and we'll get into this a little bit about Keegan's work, is that it's not just cognitive development. It's it's cognitive and emotional development and relationship re- relational development. And so and he's sort right. of. Piaget, who's who's uh, the sort of father of the lineage that Keegan is working in, was did have a very he- heavy emphasis on on just cognitive development. And one of the interesting th- things about Keegan's work is that he extends it a little bit. Um, but yeah, so 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 Keegan is a, another major influence on Chapman's body of work. Not not just the um, well, or, yeah, n- not not so much the uh, uh, main sorting out the confused stances on existential meaning that is the the work of meaningness but the uh historical account that he gives in the second half of the book which is called meaningness in time which is about how these uh common confusions about meaning have played out in pre-modern modern and and now postmodern contexts um and as we'll talk about keegan's stages of adult development do map on in a kind of archetypal way to to uh, pre-modern, modern, and and, and post-modern, uh, or uh, meta-modern, uh, as we'll, we'll get into, um, mm-hmm. ways of thinking. So, uh, yeah, me- meaningless in time. The second half of the book traces uh, the sort of twentieth-century history of the the breakdown of modernist or, or systematic mode uh, modes of meaning relating to meaning, uh, and that account is very heavily informed by by Keegan's work. Um, so yeah, mm. yeah. How how does that how does nice. that line up with your memory? <laughs> I mean, I um, no, I think it was a good overview. I would maybe add to that that um, in our latest episode we focused a little more on the uh, experiential side and the the meditative Buddhist uh, angle of things, and that's something I, I've said it before in one of our episodes, but. It's very interesting uh, for me personally to undergo this journey where we're – I'm investigating the experiential side um, privately a lot and then we're, we're hashing out the conceptual parts of the worldview as well on the, on the podcast here. But I'm noticing that insights in one helps me understand the other. And yeah. I'm oscillating between the two. And so I think I mentioned to you the other day that – 
Like I'm listening maybe again to one of our episodes and then I notice something in my everyday life. For instance, recently I've noticed how, um, yeah, what we discussed as reasonable activity bumping up against the world in this improvisational dance. Um, I've come to see much of what I do in that light rather than this uh, standing separate from the world, representing it and executing plans on the basis of that. And it's just mm-hmm. it's super fun for me to see these pieces click in from both sides and inform each other in this way. And it's getting uh, it's getting re- really cool and psychedelic uh, a lot of the time in a good way. So it's super, I'm very glad to super hear it. fun. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and that definitely one of the biggest things uh, that's been a value to me in Chapman's work is that it's it has a much closer fidelity to experience when you stop sort of insisting that your experience must line up with some rationalist theory of, of cognition like th- th- there's a way you can trick right. yourself into thinking that experience does look exactly like these sort of pristine rationalist theories say it must and and then and and then selectively bl- we've talked about this but it's like selectively blind yourself yeah, yeah, to all yeah, the yeah. ways it doesn't do that uh mm-hmm. and and then once you see that it's sort of allowed to notice all these different other aspects of your experience and that they can be well described that's that's a very rewarding experience um yeah and it's sort of like yeah it it, it makes more of life comprehensible in, in and in a very real way at least in my in my experience yes no it does and it makes makes life more and more fun for me and meaningful which is appropriate i suppose cool. um but so um Maybe we can start with with outlining these uh, stages as he talks about them. Uh, I guess we're going to focus in on stage, what he calls stage three to five, which are yeah. the adult ones. Yeah. So and I should say up front, I don't know much about and Chapman is not much concerned with the, the stages before stage three. And really, he's mostly concerned with the stage four to five um, development. Um so, so we'll, we'll we'll definitely be focusing, as you say, our conversation on stages three to five. But maybe maybe it'd be helpful to sort of step back and be like, okay, what what the hell is Robert Keegan talking about? What what, what is he doing? <laughs> um, so, uh, as you say, Keegan is a uh, adult developmental theorist, and he's working in the lineage of Jean Piaget, um, who uh famously had these sort of stages of of childhood development and and you know the the timing of the stages and what exactly is entailed in each stage and uh has been subsequently sort of debated and updated and whatever else but piaget's major contribution was not just the the stage model exactly but this idea that humans undergo uh uh cognitive development um after after they're born and that that development has a kind of logic to it and specifically he was he was what what was called a constructivist which is to say that mm-hmm. the uh ways of making sense of the world that we uh use are not you know uh wholesale present at birth exactly we construct increasingly more complex ones that are analogous to like uh in fact very analogous to like paradigms in a sort of Kuhnian account of, of science. So um, there are sort of ways of relating to the world that are internally self-consistent and that have certain uh, limitations that 
we don't we don't need to notice um, until such time as they become insufficient. And so for a while, we're assimilating new um, uh, new data into an existing paradigm or 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 uh, developmental equilibrium, you could say, um, way of way of constructing or way, way of way of making meaning that then um, that that will work for a while and then errors sort of accumulate until such time as we're forced to undergo a kind of cognitive revolution um, and construct mm-hmm. a whole new paradigm and 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 the stage like character development has to do with those those revolutions. Um, and so to give the, the sort of very common example, um, given for Piaget's stages of child development is, is something like object permanence, you know, so, uh, there's a certain stage at which babies genuinely don't know that when, you know, uh, an object is hidden behind a screen or something like that, it's still there, right? Like they, they don't need to construct a conception of what's going on, um, that entails the fact that, that objects, persist beyond the duration that they persist in perception um and like, if you think like about, they don't need it for the purpose of staying alive at that point y- yeah or like they don't start with it right and then and then they're not forced to develop it until they're forced to develop it right but by 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 the course of development <laughs> okay, so, so, yeah. so but right. but um this starts to undermine a sense that like like uh the sort of basic ontological way that we relate to the world uh just just is is with us from the beginning you know that there are objects out there that th- that the world is a certain way like uh we we don't we don't come mm. with that out of the box we have to develop that and it's it's a contingent sort of construction it's not it's not a a, a given that i mean c- certain mm. certain ways are going to be given because the human environment is so uh similar across different situations but but um yeah the, it, it it is something we have to construct uh, after being born is it uh somewhat analogous to what we talked about last time about like taking up uh certain views like we were talking about how the sutric view could be pragmatically useful um at a certain stage of practice of meditation practice for instance um mm-hmm. to get to a certain point even though it wasn't like the 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 final stage as it were yeah, it's a, it's a little bit like that, um, except for it's not it's not nearly as much a matter of choice, right? It it is like built yeah, into yeah, the yeah. very fabric of how you can perceive the world. So, one way of thinking about right. this is just when a when a baby comes out of the womb, uh, there is just this sort of blooming, buzzing confusion of experience. That's a sort of like famous William James phrase about it. But it's like there's just this sort of chaos <laughs> of experience, great. and no clear right. sense of what's me and what's the world, right? Um, mm. And the ongoing sort of differentiation of self from world and then, you know, increasing ability to relate oneself to the world after having made that differentiation develops over the course of development. So, so for example, like you're in the womb and all of your sort of, the the environment is already automatically meeting all of your external needs. And then, so, so, so you don't even need to develop a conception of the environment as separate from you in some sense, right? Because, because, it's coextensive with your body and everything that you would want from the environment is already being met and you don't have to navigate moving around in the environment and it's fixed and stable in a certain way and all, all these things. Right. 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 But garden, uh, the, garden of Eden for sure. There, there's, there's certainly an analogy there. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, but then over time you're, you're uh, in the course of development, you have to develop uh, first the ability to just like distinguish 
your body from from what's not your body, but then in an ongoing way that, that develop a more and more rich conception of what is what is self, what is other, uh, and uh, what what are the sort of like ontological building blocks of the world. And there are various mm-hmm. equilibria in that process of development that that cause it to look somewhat stage like, where it's like this is a internally coherent way of making sense of the world that works for now until until it doesn't and then i have to undergo a cognitive revolution um and but the, but, but the, the claim is somewhat that that it's sequ- it's sequential chronological yeah well, so extent. each, each has to goes. build on the the, the the each each has to build on the on the prior stage in some sense so so uh right. uh because it's constructed you need to have been in one stage uh prior to to being able to be in another stage and each stage sort of strictly in, uh, you know, to use a Ken Wilber phrase, like tr- transcends and includes the prior stages in that everything you could do in the prior stage, you can still do and you can do more, which is why it has this hierarchical character. And they're not just sort of equally good, but 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 um, just different ways of making sense of things there. There there is a sort of strict hierarchy in that one entails everything below it and more things, you know, uh, right. Um, okay, so that's the that's the lineage that that Keegan is operating in is this Piagetian constructivist lineage, and just just to relate um, the constructivism point to our earlier conversations about about meaning and epistemology. So so crucially, like a constructivist account is uh, neither subjective nor objective in the way that we've been we've been talking about before, right? So if it were purely mm. objective, it would it it, it couldn't. Uh, undergo these kinds of revolutions, which is part of why you know the revolution from Newtonian to to uh, to relativistic physics uh, was so destabilizing, <laughs> is because there was a sense in which it seemed like okay, we'd gotten the final the final theory, yeah, right? But uh, but then if you can undergo a sort of wholesale ontological revolution about what the stuff in the world is, but the prior theory still functions in some way then the your account of why the prior theory worked because it was really getting at the sort of ontological primitives of the world starts to seem very shaky right like why would it work if every ontological category we were using there uh was was wrong um, by the lights of the yeah, lab wow. right um and and so 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 uh it's not that it's not uh you know to to assuage your your listeners it's again it's not purely relative in any sense it's not arbitrary it's not uh this is not like a a you know anything goes type view but it's just you have to have a more sophisticated account of how your theories are relating to the world if you can undergo these wholesale ontological revisions and don't want to have to Mm -hmm. dispense with everything prior um so okay yeah this, uh, this constructivism account is is interactionist yeah, yeah. Uh, um yeah. and and another important point to make and so o- often Keegan's stages will get uh referred to as stages of meaning making and Keegan himself will talk about it that way sometimes. Um mm. the one and and I will often say that but the one uh caveat about that way of putting it is that meaning making makes it sound like uh subjective to some y- Yeah, like like well it, it it sounds like the 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 person as a separate person is authoring yeah. all of the different ways right, of making meaning, right, right. and constructivism can kind of give that impression too. Where like I am doing it all by myself, building the whole model, and and a better way of, of thinking an about interaction is construction. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and it's a uh, <laughs> there's a phrase in and I think of evolving self, which is one of Keegan's two books that we'll talk about, um, where he says it's an autonomous event between the organism and the environment, which is to say, like 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 the 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 meaning that's getting constructed is. <laughs> almost being constructed by both the organism and the environment. And especially in the, in the later adult developmental stages, it's very dependent on what kind of society and and environment that, that the, the organism is coming up in. Right. Um, And so, so yeah, it's not, it's not purely constructed based on some, some existing genetic program or something like that. Uh, Although the, the early stages are somewhat universal because of commonalities in the environment, you could say. And, and just common needs that humans have to meet. But yeah, it, it's better to think of it as an event happening between the organism and its environment than just as being constructed by the organism. It takes two to tango. It's exactly. a dance. Exactly. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, okay. So so that's that's the lineage that Keegan's operating in. And then uh, this, this Piagetian lineage. Um, and Piaget's stages i think only went up to what he called formal operations which is analogous to keegan's stage four but uh the timing is totally different and and piaget had these sort of brilliant children that he said were totally capable of uh, and he was doing all his experiments on his children or not all of them but, <laughs> but some of them and he's like oh you know they reached okay. it by age 12 and 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 it was just th- th- there's been a lot of subsequent revision of all this stuff but um, <laughs> okay. what, what Keegan's he was just doing, being a dick yeah well he just had you know he, he had an unrepresentative sample of it that way um, <laughs> but, right, right. but uh what keegan is doing is extending well first first off he's he's sort of enriching the conception of of what what develops so it's not just cognitive development as it was in the case of piaget um mm-hmm. and piaget piaget talked a little bit about moral development i should also say that uh, lawrence kohlberg who's a very famous moral psychologist was doing the same thing uh, uh, that Piaget was doing for moral development. Um, uh, so, so, so he had these sort of stages of moral moral development that that progressed in much the same way. So, extending it beyond just the cognitive, and then and then Keegan is doing um, sort of the whole suite, or, or 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 is trying to trying to extend it all the way to cognitive, emotional, moral slash relational development. Um, all of which he puts under this this sort of banner of the evolution of meaning, and uh, the the meaning has these sort of different dimensions, which I, I suspect is one of the things that uh, informed oh. Chapman in in setting up meaningness the way he does, where where meaningness is explicitly concerned with different dimensions of meaning, like ethics and purpose and value and things like that. But uh, so so uh, Keegan is extending uh, Piagetian development into adulthood, um, and Chapman concerns himself with Keegan's adult developmental stages, even though he has an account that, that includes uh, childhood stages. And yeah. the three stages that one might go through in adulthood uh, are stages three, four, and five, uh, where three can, is... Can I, can I say what they're called just to see if I remember? Sure. Yep. So I, I, and this might be Chapman's terminology. I, d- I don't remember that. But it's uh, the, the communal mode... The systematic mode and the fluid mode is that right? Yeah. So, so, so those are those are Chapman's terms for them, and they're Chapman's terms for them to specifically talk about uh, how they apply at a sort of societal scale. Uh, mm. um, but, but also as as stages of cognitive development, especially fluid mode, 
generally when he uses that, he's he's talking about a, a sort of civilizational progression. Um, but uh. but yes, you, you you do have it you do have it right. Keegan changed around his terminology a lot, um, and there are some gaps in how Chapman conceives of it from from how uh, Keegan has written about it. Um, but yeah, so so stage three communal mode, uh, also also called the uh, um, well Chapman will talk about it as the choiceless mode a little bit, um, mm. and uh, but the the key idea of stage three is that you're self is okay okay so one one final point i have to say about just just what's going on with these keegan stages the very interesting thing about them or a very interesting thing about them is that each stage progresses by what was formerly constituting the subject moves to being an object that you can that you can interact with so what was structuring the self and you know, sort of what you were subject to, so to speak, that which like the the lens out of which outside of which you could not see becomes an object with which you can interact in every stage progression. And then a new subject takes it, pl- it takes its place. So uh, um, I can't remember which of the childhood stages has this, but if you think about initially, you're just subject to your perceptions uh, of, of the world then you might move to being able to take your perceptions as an object, not as structuring the self, and then a new thing will stru- structure the self. And then yeah. uh, the, the development uh, of in- into stage three concerns with your egocentric desires. Um, so so, so the, 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 things, the sort of selfish desires for what you want become object and your relationships become the subject. So you're able to sort of right. subordinate your egocentric desires to the needs of relationship it's not that you don't have them anymore. It's that you're no longer helplessly subject to them. You can take them as an object. Um, and what you are is defined in terms of your various relational roles. And that's that's the stage three. That's what, what Chapman will call the communal mode. Um, I believe uh, Keegan calls it the socialized mind in one of the books. Um, so that's that's one of the, 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 the first of the three stages of adult development, which I think Keegan would say most people reach in adolescence um or early adulthood but most people <laughs> i'm still awaiting my my flowering into it but yeah you, you get there. uh we'll, we'll get into this <laughs> a little bit later two. but 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 uh one can um <laughs> like at, at various times and under different kinds of stress like you know not operate at one's highest level of development you know certainly certainly like <laughs> right I, I i'm capable of of regressing to an impressive degree to to you know you angry desires yeah exactly yeah right. um, so right. so it's not, it's not as though if one has, has progressed one's incapable of of you know having low, lower motives so to speak but 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 uh it's often described uh correct me if i'm wrong but as an oscillation before you've like settled in the new mode it can it can be a long period of time where you can do some things at a um, later stage of development and other things you're unable to yeah, yeah, exactly, and and and, and uh, a lot of what Chapman's concerned with, and, and Keegan talks about, is what kinds of environment would um, a- a- adequately sort of shepherd one through the stages of development, right? So, so you need an environment that sort of supports you in the right ways and pushes you in the right ways and confirms as you start to extend beyond a given equilibrium uh, in, in, into a later one. So, so, so like. The, because this is happening between the organism and the environment in some sense, an environment can more or less adequately support you in in, in moving through the stages. Um, and uh, yeah, as you say, like like 
uh, you can you can not quite have made the full transition and be trying certain things out and and, and regressing in various ways uh, until until something becomes more stabilized. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 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 that that's that's the big idea about how the development is structured is that what was formerly subject becomes object in the prior stage and a new subject assumes its place, and um, you know people. Uh, who have listened to our prior conversations about uh, meditation questions might find this somewhat interesting. Uh, it's mm. still a little bit tricky to think about uh, exactly how this relates to the way, you know, subject and object are talking about, are talked about in, in a meditative context, but there is an interesting parallel where you can think about when you're meditating, you get uh, identified with various things. And while you're identified with them, uh, you're sort of helplessly acting out their their consequences in this kind of diluted state. Um, and, and then it's only when you can sort of wake up from the dream of being identified with it and take it as an object that you're no longer so helplessly subject to its Bound by it. implications. Yeah. yeah, And something similar, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say too much about exactly how they relate because they're not identical, but but there's something, you know, nicely similar about, about how that works here where... Uh, what was formerly subject becomes an object and then you're no, no longer subject to it in this kind of helpless way. You can, you can interact with it and subordinate it to, to a higher order uh, ways of making meaning. Um, and okay. So, so the three stages that Keegan talks about with respect to adult development are his stages three, four, and five. And those are the ones that Chapman is primarily concerned with. As you say, stage three is the communal mode uh, or the socialized mind, different names for it. And there, the subject is structured by relationships, and and you can take your egocentric desires as an object. Stage four is uh, you're able to then move those relationships from subject to object, and your subject is is structured by systems of principles and projects. Uh, and Chapman calls this the systematic mode. Keegan will talk about it as the self-authoring mind in at least one of the books, but again, was changing the name <laughs> of it. And then, and right. then. Stage five is the, the fluid mode, as you say. Uh, this is also associated with metasystematicity. So the systems that were f- and principles that were s- formerly structuring the self can now be taken as an object. And what is what is structuring the subject is just the activity of meaning making as such. And we, we already talked about what's <clears throat> somewhat problematic about that idea of meaning making, but, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of Chapman's projects, which is concerned with what he calls meta systematicity and meta rationality is concerned with um, building a better bridge from stage four to, to a stable version of stage five. Um, and then, uh, well, yeah. Do you, uh, do you have questions so far? I can keep going. <laughs> I'm thinking a little bit about uh, how this ties together with the history um, because you sent me some audios to listen to and I couldn't get through the, the Jordan Peterson's talks on, on PIJ. Um, yeah. <laughs> for some reason I tried several times, but I zoned out, but, uh, the, the Chapman, uh, uh, meaningless and time, uh, audios there are very intriguing and that's yeah. high praise from me who is not into history in general or hasn't been historically. Um, yeah, well, but so I, I'm just thinking about cognition. You're you're very into cognition yes. and 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 having a sort of cognition focused lens on history. At least I, I found makes makes it much more interesting. Uh, I suspect you find ah, the same. Ah, yeah, right. 
No, because it is fun, and 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 hearing you talk about it is interesting. But so mainly, my question right now is, uh, uh, are is the plan that we will tie this into the history a little bit uh, later on? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I I can just flag up front that um, stages three, four, and five correspond to pre-modern, modern, and post-modern or or metamodern, and there, I would distinguish those just because post-modern is not yet a, a, a sort of stable equilibrium. It often gets talked about as like stage 4.5 where your, right. uh, you know, uh, systematic, the systematic mode of has, yeah, it, it's, it's broken down, but you don't yet have a stable uh, thing that you can reconstitute. And a lot of Chapman's project is, is trying to f- flesh that out. Um, but yeah, they, 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 they do correspond to um, these, stages of, of development that that society has gone through in some sense and that's not an accident again because um the, <laughs> this is happening between the organism and the environment in some sense so so we are driven to develop further by the needs of our mode of social organization which in turn mm. you know uh, uh helps helps form that mode of social organization so um you can think of 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 uh, a sort of pre-modern hunter-gatherer type context, which is most of uh, human history, as only requiring us to develop to the this sort of stage three communal mode. Your your roles and relationships are enough to make sense of how you should be in the world, um, and and uh, what you should do, and what kinds of sense you should make of things. And it's only when you, I mean, you can think of the the, the sort of uh, origin myth <laughs> uh version of this is okay so imagine you've got two uh uh hunter-gatherer tribes coming into contact with one another who fundamentally <laughs> yeah, make sense time. of things and in, in, yeah who, who make sense of things in different ways and mm-hmm. uh uh it's th- that sort of primordial scene of oh they don't make meaning in the same way that we do but we need to not kill each other over it and certainly the first reaction would be <laughs> let's kill each other over it um but but Let's uh, eat those barbarians, as Chapman writes. Yeah, right. But but once <laughs> once once the uh, the you've co- come into contact with another way of making meaning, you can no longer relate to your own way of making meaning as eternal and the only possible way of making sense of things. And so you're forced by that circumstance to develop a different way of making meaning, um, especially if you, if you want to cooperate at a certain scale. Um, and modernity has a lot to do with with trying to solve some of those problems. Um, so you can think about sort of the enlightenment as coming out of, uh, you know, tons and tons of religious war where people were warring over these sorts of uh, fundamental values and, and, and ways of making meaning. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of the enlightenment was an effort to say, okay, how can we, how can we live together in light of that? What kinds of ways of, of making sense of things are adequate to that project? And uh, th- they concern these sort of systematic uh, principles that that we can all uh, or the, the, the society can operate under whether or not every individual in the society can actually make sense of things in that way um, yeah anyway so so we, we, we'll get into the history as, as we go but yeah okay okay I, I I thought it was very very interesting to hear I mean it makes sense that if you have no um, contact with any other system than the one you grew up in and i remember watching some um a lot of disney movies seem to have this kind of structure as well like uh, going from from the communal mode to the systematic mode or whatever um but um 
yeah, just if if you don't uh if you don't come in contact with anything else, then this is the only way that anything is. Why would you question it? It just is this way. This is right. the way. So I'm just going to do it that way. And then you stumble on someone else who says, oh, but we do it this way. Why, why are you doing it that way? And then you have, huh, okay, I, I, I don't know. I guess I need a reason. And then you start justifying it and then um, to, to, to uh, try to persuade the other person why they should choose it or why you should stay in your system. I just, I've never thought of any of this and I, I've, Thought it was very interesting to uh, get it elucidated. In cool, that way. yeah. It, it, you can yeah. see it, there's a parallel too to to what drives the stage two to three transition. So so from egocentric desires structuring the self to, to becoming an object uh, with the relationship structuring the self. So it's like like you can have your egocentric desires until you have to make your way in a community, and then and then you have to be able to subordinate those those egocentric desires to the needs of, right. of relationship. And to the role that right. you're going to play in your community, um, so so yeah, th- there's a sort of parallel. One, one of the nice things about the theory is that it, it's very elegant in this way, where like there's a sort of logic to the development um, mm-hmm. uh, that that persists across the stages. But um, yeah, okay. So so one one other piece about the history that's relevant uh, is um, so Keegan has these two main books that, that we'll talk about. One is the Evolving Self, where he f- first laid out this this model and then he's got a subsequent book called in over our heads um uh i think the subtitle is the mental demands of modern life and in that book he makes the argument that Hmm. uh because most people don't develop past most adults even don't develop past stage three uh and you know a tiny microscopic percentage of people uh at least at the time of his writing uh and according to his work uh develop from stage four to stage five um, you know, something like something, yeah, you know, one percent of people or something like that. Uh, yeah. we're sort of facing the problems of being developmentally pre-modern people forced to meet the demands of a modern world, and then and then further, you could say that that the stage three to four bridge, which would traditionally have been served or or would would typically have been served. I shouldn't say traditionally because all of this is fairly new, um, yeah, on a historical scale, but which would have been served by something like work. Or the military or university education, uh, the, those those serve the function of bringing people through the stage three to four transition. Some of those bridges are breaking down as well, and even even you know that 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 didn't cover all the, the whole population uh, or or most of the population even when they were functioning, but they've been breaking down to an impressive degree. So uh, we require at the very least a stage four and increasingly a stage five understanding to administer at least uh, that at least some people have such an understanding to administer modern and, and postmodern society, but uh, we're, we're not developing people. And, and, and so, so many pro- problems mm-hmm. can be attributed to the fact that, that uh, we, yeah, we don't, we don't have a, le- a level, uh, a, le- a large enough percent of the population with a level of understanding adequate to uh, sustaining uh, modern society. Um, and that's another, do you have another. any percentages of how many tra- um, how many adults in our societies that reach stage four? Uh, I, d- I don't know what a modern uh, I, I don't know what a recent accountant would be. Um, okay. I'm not aware of, of, of recent research on this. I believe at the time of, of Keegan's writing, it was something like I'm going to really get this bad. wrong, but well, it's, it's, it's some something like you know more than half of adults are 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 stage three um uh and then 
you know, something like on the order of, of 30 to 40% stage four, and then 1% stage five or, or, or less. Um, and that's, that's a problem. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we, we can start to talk about sort of how that ends up showing up in interesting in, in current events in interesting ways. But but that's the basic historical application that that um, Chapman is writing about. I mean, even as stage two, that concerns me. Yeah, that's no yeah. good. <laughs> so so one one of the tricky things to get get a handle on um, in hearing about this for the first time is what what it, what exactly is meant by being in a given stage of development and how how would the world look to such a person in say a stage mm-hmm. three or stage four or stage five conception. And, um, you know, it can be a little bit tricky because, uh, for example, like somebody in elementary school in stage two or stage three can do math problems or m- might be able to do math problems within a certain scope. And math problems have this characteristic of, of being formal in the way that we would, and, and systematic in the way that we would, uh, associate with stage four and so okay if they can do that or, you know are they in stage four or something like that and and um so it, it can be a little bit tricky to talk about okay what what is actually meant by being in a stage what can one do or not do but um mm-hmm. uh essentially you can think about stages as being like this sort of center of gravity uh of how you're constructing meaning as a whole and uh the constituent parts of that, as I said before, are, are, are what's structuring the subject and what's structuring the object. Um, and uh, this is not a very common way of talking about it in a sort of rationalist paradigm for how we think about cognition. The subject is just sort of this disengaged reasoner and uh, <laughs> if, if there's a subject at all. And uh, it, it's, sort of, it's sort of systematic all the way down. Uh, is one way of thinking about sort of cognitivist or rationalist ways of thinking about things. So, um, to understand, what's a, what's a good way into this? Can I just clarify to, to sure, make yeah, it even worse for you? So, when you say con- uh, a, a way of constructing meaning, are you like does it mean that uh, w- what is meaningful to a person in a particular stage? Like what what uh, drives their behavior and what sticks out as meaningful to them is that what you mean by constructing meaning um that's it's a, it's a it's a helpful question yes but it runs deeper than that in the sense that it's not just an account of so a very a very common misconception about the keegan stages is that it's they're sort of like preferences where some people just care more about relationships and relationships matter more to them and then you you go to stage four and systems matter more to you and mm-hmm. there's a sense in which that's true because the sort of mattering and the and the the structure of cognition are not totally separate, but they're not just preferences in that way. Um, and so it's not just a matter of yeah, what's what's more salient to you or what do you care more about? Um, it is in, they are in fact wholesale different ways of constructing meaning in the world where meaning is understood to be. Well, again, it has these different dimensions. So it's it's how your emotions are sort of organized. It's how your cognition is organized. It's how your conception of moral situations is organized. Um, uh, uh, how your conception of of relationships and roles and who I am and what the world is like and what's my role to play in the world. All of that falls under this sort of larger banner of of, of meaning. And you can sort of get the. Sh- I mean, so 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 
you can sort of get the shape of what is meant by meaning in this larger sense um, by thinking about all the things that fall fall under that. So like ethics and epistemology uh, are are all sort of bound up there. And um, mm. part of the larger view of the, the, the evolution of meaning is that those projects, the sort of normative project and the self and world project and the uh, epistemic project and the existential project of like, what's my purpose? What's my like, uh, uh, what's the meaning of life? Those types of questions. Those are hmm. all bound up um, in, in this larger evolution of meaning. Um, yeah. I, I know that sounds very hopelessly vague. Uh, I can, I can get into a little bit more of why that's the case, but, but this actually relates to, to our earlier conversation. You can tell me if you want to go in this direction, but I, I can sort of say, you know, how this relates to what we were talking about earlier uh, in the earlier conversations about Do meaning and, and rationality. Um, Do it. Okay. So you remember uh, way back when I was sort of to try to build <laughs> the intuition pump for, for what's going on with Chapman's discussion of, of both existential meaning and of, uh, of rationality. I was having you think about the amoeba, right? Or like the single-celled organism. Yeah, my, and, favorite, and, my favorite example. I yeah. hope you have a t-shirt with that example or something. Yeah, exactly. That's great. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I only have a sort of stock list of a few examples that I use to try to get people to <laughs> think about these things. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to develop more. But it's a favorite of mine because <laughs> it, 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 it made a big difference for me uh, in just, just starting to be able to conceptualize this. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you think about the way an amoeba makes sense of the world, uh, it's it's being its ability to sort of constitute a boundary between itself and the world, uh, and and therefore to continue to live, and its cognition, uh, are 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 intimately tied up with 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 each other. You know, like like its cognition exists in the service of its continued ongoing existence as a bounded entity, like an organism, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the kind of sense it's making of the world is not separable from that process of trying to continue to live in the first instance you know it's 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 relating to the world it's bumping up against the world as we were, we we're talking about it's regulating the sort of signals that come across its boundary uh yeah. partly in the service of <clears throat> maintaining that boundary right of, of continuing to be a sort of separate organism and being able to separate out what's me what's the world what's me what's the world in this sort of ongoing way and it, nothing like that complex is happening with an amoeba but but you can see how if you were to sort of trace the evolutionary line from the amoeba to more and more complex organisms, there's no point at which it just automatically flips to, okay, now I'm doing this abstract, disengaged, rational reasoning, and it's, it's that all the way down. No, it's, 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 you know, still in the service of I'm a, I'm a living organism with a boundary. I have to determine what's me and what's the world, et cetera, in, in this ongoing way. And, and meaning concerns all of that and the kinds of sense you're making of the world are inseparable from what's necessary for you to conceive of self and world as distinct as distinct in different ways and what is self what what am i what's my role how how, how am i relating to what's out there and what's the world you know and and uh so me, me, meaning meaning sort of subsumes all of that which, which is both epistemological in the sense that it's about knowing what's out there and mm -hmm. normative in the sense of uh what are, what are, what are the values uh 
structuring what what I'm trying to accomplish in in that relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I you've said something before, like um, meanings are tools for getting things done in the world. So, yeah, so that's, basically, that's a, that's what, a, what should I? Chapman way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> what what should I focus on? Uh, I mean, we've touched on it with the yeah. We're really, really, really quickly, just because because uh, yeah. I don't think you're making this mistake exactly, but but one could. Um, it's not just what should I focus on. It's it's also what can I focus on, and that 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 that's that's sort of yeah. What I'm I mean, with, I'm yeah. used. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Should in a very primal sense of uh yeah i mean i was i was gonna say that it goes into uh such fundamental things as as how you perceive the world in terms of yeah and ontologies what we've spoken about before something that's uh only recently really clicked into place for me but uh yeah how you have to perceive the world in terms of when you represent you have to represent in terms of affordances first that's a more primary type of representation what can i do uh, with these things that um, would aid me in my efforts to try to keep this uh, permeable boundary so i can keep existing and then right. only after that we can do the abstract reasoning so i mean it goes very deep yes yeah and and, and uh that for especially for for humans, but but for other organisms too, that's bound up not just with the sort of physical world, but with the social world, and with your sort of attachment to your primary caregiver, and and yeah, making your way in the social world is as as, as important as as making your way in the physical world as you grow up, and so this is not separable as you get further down the line from uh, how how the social world is constituted, so you know other, other people and and societies and whatever else, so um yeah yes okay so so that that's why everything sort of falls under this banner of 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 meaning but um you can see how how existential meaning like who am i what's my purpose you know uh does life make sense altogether uh would would be related to the sort of more colloquial like or or more like sort of uh, pedestrian epistemological meaning of like okay what's going on here now in, in like or or um i just want to figure out what's true about the world but it's also bound up with what am i how am i related to the world all all together and and that's that's what's evolving through the stages of, of development um mm. and sort of what's the, what's the stuff of the world out there um mm. yeah and, and and again like building the intuition of the if, for this uh, is tricky because it's complicated, but but you can s- start to see what it would mean in the ex- okay. So take the very simple example that we were talking about with Piaget earlier of of object permanence. So uh, if you start with just experience, like the the infant and its blooming, buzzing confusion of experience, mm-hmm. uh, but it's got to develop. Let's call it direct sort of- experience, just to mess with the CR folks. Yeah, no, let's let, let's not get, let's not go down that route. Um, you, you, have sort of, you, you have experience and, and there's stuff showing up in there that's your body sensation. There's stuff showing up in there that's, you know, objects in the world. There's stuff showing up in there that's thoughts. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff just showing up in experience. And you've got to develop a sense of, okay, what's the world? What's not me? What's me? 
what do I have some measure of control over versus what am I subject to? What, what am I helplessly controlled by? And mm-hmm. um, development, especially with humans, because we're such a neotenous species. So, so we do so much of our development after, after having been born. We sort of come out very undercooked and then, and then have to <laughs> uh, accommodate ourselves to, to uh, sort of rapidly changing uh, environments. So, so more of our development happens outside the womb than, than within compared to some other organisms. But um, yeah, we, we have to, to, to develop this sense of, in the first instance, what's me, what's the world? W- you know, what do I have control over? What do I not have control over? What's stable? What's not stable, etc. And then that gets more and more complex as you, as you develop, but even like object permanence. So, so uh, that's about realizing that what's in the world exists beyond the scope of its existence within your immediate perception right and you can see why that would be something that you'd have to learn because it's not given an experience in the in the first instance that that's the case right things appear things come into and go out of existence in in the field of experience and from Mm -hmm. from your first person point of view before you develop a conception of a sort of stabilizable world that is just what is, 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 is what's going on in experience, right? Um, and, and so things exist until they don't. Things are until they aren't. Uh, unless you are driven, because it's a, a better way of making, a sort of more functional way of making sense of the world, to say, oh, mm-hmm. it, it, it helps to think, uh, um, you know, things exist when they're not in my perceptions. They're permanent. They're, they're stable, <clears throat> relatively permanent stable. What that means is being able to take your perceptions and make them object in some sense, right? Because it, it, mm. it, mean, it means that your perceptions are no longer the thing to which you are subject, the thing that helplessly structures your sense of what's going on in the world, um, but rather something that you can take as object. Okay, this is my perception. It's not the world and it's not me. You know what I mean? Right? Like, mm. um, so, 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 so when, when, you, when something moves from subject to object, you're developing a sense of, of, of separate from me. And uh, it, it might be the case that it becomes in the world, but it could also be part of you in the sense of being like your emotion, but you're no longer helplessly experiencing through it. You get to experience it as an object. Does that make sense? So, mm, so, so, yeah. so it's this totality of everything that is with no separation between me and the world and uh, no ability to to be anything but helplessly subject to something, to being able to take something as object, and in the taking of it as object, also make distinctions between what's me and what's the world. Is that is the shape of that sort of starting to cohere when you think about like the object permanence example? Of, yeah, you know, you yeah. just have perceptions, and then and then you can yeah start to structure it. <laughs> I mean, I just find it. Uh, ironic to to have this happen uh, all throughout life, and then have Jake Orthwine uh, tell you in in uh, the last episode that uh, objects aren't actually permanent and they're empty and ungraspable, and there is no duality between subject and object in your experience. It's um it's an interesting well, uh, no, no, no. progression okay, through uh, life. <laughs> okay, so 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 okay, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I'm being facetious, uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, no, but 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 it, I mean, it is relevant, right? So, so uh, the the claim in a in a meditative context is that this separation of experience into subject and object, uh, apparent separation of experience into subject and ob- object, 
is a kind of conceptual overlay onto mm. a condition that doesn't fundamentally have that character, right? Right. And the reason, one reason why this view that we're sketching of, of, of development is consistent with that is that you have to <laughs> learn to develop yeah, a sort of yeah, conceptual differentiation can... um, yeah. between those two. But it is conceptual. And so um, it, uh, on a certain level, it's not that the conceptual is for, fully separable from the sort of like embodied or sensory at this at this level. But but yeah, it, yeah. yeah it, it is it is not constitutive of, of, of consciousness of experience, then then it can be seen as empty. And in seeing it as empty, you see that experience is not bound by that, that um, conceptual yeah. overlay. So anyway, yeah, it, it, you're, you're, you're right to bring up the, the relationship. <laughs> but you know, crucially, empty does not mean illusory, not there or or, yeah. uh, or, I mean, in, I don't want to get back into this rabbit hole. <laughs> there is a no, sense of no, self no, that no, is yeah, illusory yeah. or best characterized as illusory, but uh, rather than just empty. But but yeah. but um, what we're talking about here, as as sort of this conceptual sense of uh, of uh, of of um, what's me, what's the world, all that's empty. But that doesn't mean it's just it's illusory or it's or it's made up. And it also sounds analogous to the um, you have to master systems in stage four before you can go meta to systems yes yeah yes okay so 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 we already talked about uh that, that that's a good segue so we, we okay so to give people the basic intuition for um what's going on as you uh as meaning gets constructed in this ongoing way so with with the object permanence example okay first things just are or are not based on whether you're they're in your perception then you're able to take perception as an object. Um, and in doing that, you're able to form a conception of the world that persists beyond the duration of your perceptions. And the perception is not something to which you are subject, to, to which you sort of help, helplessly conceive as both self and world and everything that is, right? Um, um, in the uh, uh, adult stages of development, uh, you are you go from being subject to your egocentric desires to then being able to take those as objects and be subject to and and structuring the subject in terms of your relationships so i am a son a brother etc um i am a i play this role in my community and you're no longer helplessly acting out and seeing through your selfish desires about the world you're able to subordinate those to your relationships and this is this is not quite uh, uh, strictly cognitive, um, although it relates to, to to cognition. It also concerns what kind of perspectives you're able to take, uh, and uh, what uh, how you feel about things, your emotions, your ethical intuitions about what's right and wrong, um, and and your epistemological stance. Um, mm. So, so all, all of these things are sort of bound up in a, in a given developmental stage. Um, and then as you say, uh, well, so, so, so before you, uh, uh, go to the metasystematic, you have to go from that communal mode where your self is structured by your relationships to the systematic mode where your self is structured by systems of, of principles and projects and your, uh, uh, you can take as object those relationships. So to draw an analogy between the, object permanence case that we just discussed with infants here's here's the analogous case for the development of of systematicity so 
if your uh, self is being structured by, if you're subject to your relationships, if, if, if the subject is defined by relationships, then you're vulnerable to a condition in which different relationships have different demands that come into conflict with one another. And you have no principled way of determining when one relationship should take precedence over another because they th- there's right. no sort of way of structuring uh, your relationships except for what's going on in a relationship at a given time. So your mother might be asking you to do this and your girlfriend might be asking you to do that. And it sort of ends up depending on just who's who's emoting at you more loudly at any given time um, <laughs> because because you have no yeah. other way of determining uh, what what you ought to do except for what are the demands of the relationship that I'm being su- subjected to right now, you know? Right now, um, okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, 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 uh, on some level it's right now. It's not that you have no time perception, obviously, but but you don't have an, a, a principled way of saying under these circumstances, uh, my obligations to this relationship take precedence over that relationship. Um, uh, this relationship is sort of, uh, symmetrical and that one's asymmetrical like like this one has we we owe each other the same things versus this one is a formal role where i'm subordinate to this person my the meeting the, you okay so you can see why uh if you're in a job in a modern society right and you're making stage three sense of the world so you know you're working your job and your girlfriend calls you and you're like i need your help and you leave your post at the job well that wouldn't go too well right <laughs> and so you, you you have you have to be able to understand your role beyond the scope of just your relationships right so your relationship with your boss is not the same thing as your relationship with your girlfriend and yeah. you have to be able to sort of structure uh how you relate to those relationships in in, in a way that that uh is, is able to understand uh when the the demands of one relationship uh supersede the demands of another yeah uh, yeah under what circumstances, et cetera. So, so in the same way that the infant who doesn't have object permanence is forced to develop object permanence, uh, as you develop from stage three to stage four, you have to be able to, you, you encounter these circumstances where your way of make, uh, relating to meaning is inadequate. You have different relationships that placing different demands on you that you can't reconcile. And then you're forced to develop a, a more complex way of, of, of making meaning that that um, gives you a principled way. And I'm using the word principle deliberately because principles are, are you know, sort of definitive of stage four um, of, of uh, determining uh, when the needs of one relationship or another relationship take precedence. And mm. that's... Uh, yeah, so, so so that's sort of what drive what what drives the stage three to four transition, and those systems and principles are uh, self chosen in a certain sense, but they also have to do with the systems uh, uh, according to which the society you're living in, uh, in this case, would be like a modern society, are structured. So if if your job has certain formal roles specified by your job description, fitting within a larger organizational structure. Um, to which you have to uh, uh, accommodate yourself. Well, then, mm-hmm. then that that formal system of of uh, of roles it, it allows you to take your relationships as object uh, and and no longer be helplessly subject to the demands of different relationships and reconcile or, and, and uh, you know make discriminations among competing demands um, within different relationships um, according to principles. Right. 
Right. Make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. So that's the stage three, three to four transition. And then, mm-hmm. and then, but a lot of what we've been talking about is the stage four to five transition or what's a problem about being bound to captured by certain systematic ways of making sense of things. And just to, to give people a sense of what characterizes systematicity, um, systems, so, so you, you, it helps to think about it as being partly determined by uh, the demands of a certain kind of social organization. So like a modern social organization where you, there's a certain scale and uh, um, uh, that, you, that you need to be able to deal with. And so you're, the, the principles according to which you're organizing a society are can, can't be sensitive to the same sort of uh, local contextual circumstances as, as uh, you could get away with in a, in a smaller society. So they have to be more or less context and purpose independent principles in order to administer a large scale society where you're not dealing at this sort of local, small contextual scale. And um, so like the rules uh, in an organization have to apply beyond every single individual case or just, you know, whoever's feeling whatever emotion in a given time. Likewise, you know, the, <laughs> right. the rules in a sort of uh, a legal system or in an economy or whatever, all of, all of those can't be, uh, sensitive to individual or individual relationships right like they they, ha- they have to have more overarching context and purpose independent principles and then in order to accommodate yourself to that you have to be able to make sense in terms of those kinds of principles and rationality is such a system uh rationality is uh, rationality in chapman's sense of it is a are, are these sort of systems of of, of reasoning that are more in the direction of being context, context and purpose independent, right? There, there are principles of reasoning that apply whatever circumstance you're in, or, or purport to apply whatever whatever um, circumstance you're in, independent of the content, um, mm. and uh, that gets a lot of power in some ways and runs into trouble in others, and that that's some of what we've been discussing earlier in the series, right? And I I remember. Uh... Chapman saying that we, we can attribute most of human progress in the, the last hundreds of years to systems, systematicity. And it's easy to right. see why yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so even, even though Chapman has very strong critiques of, of systematicity, he's, he, he certainly views systems as necessary to administer modern society. Uh, and mm-hmm. so he's, he's just as preoccupied with the breakdown of the, the stage three to four a bridge as he is with with insisting on the stage four to five bridge because if we don't have the people who who can actually uh you know understand and run a, a modern society then we're in for a load of trouble because because yeah. that's what that, that's the only way we're able to support uh civilizations of this of the scale that we've developed not to be alarmist or anything Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you know, the, 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 the picture becomes pretty dire. So, okay, so here, yeah, here, yeah. here's an interesting, uh, here's an interesting sort of historical example to ground this a little bit um, uh, in in things that at least an American audience will be familiar with. So, um, we talked about how stages three, four, and five line up with uh, pre-modern, modern, and post-modern. Um, and stage three, again, the self is structured by relationships. You can think of this as being adequate to a sort of communal or, or tribal mode of organization, right? So, so 
right is right for the tribe in some important sense, you know, however you constitute the tribe, but it's, it's, it's fundamentally social and relational. Um, and that obviously, uh, um, can't work in, in large scale modern society, but, but it's also important to be able to see it as a kind of accomplishment. So, so it, it like yeah. <laughs> being able to, to, to make sense of things tribally isn't, is a, is a uh, accomplishment over merely making sense of them egocentrically. You know, so so one of the things that this developmental view kind of uh, fosters is a sense that, yes, OK, there are limitations in any given way of making sense of the world, but they're also accomplishments. And so um, you, sh- you should see them in both terms, you know, that it has certain limitations and you've you've accomplished something and being able to make sense of things in that way. But yeah. OK, so part of Chapman and Keegan's diagnosis of, of modern society is that the stage three to four bridge is, is failing. So you have lots of developmentally pre-modern people in a modern world and uh, stage four modernity has been failing since, uh, since the early 20th century. And so we can no longer rely on systems as being eternal, but we need them to, to, to run our society and we need to start developing a more sophisticated sense, uh, a metasystematic mode of, of relating to meeting and, um, postmodern philosophy, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, po- postmodernism generally is a, uh, largely consists of critiques of modernist ways of making sense of things. Um, and many of those critiques are in fact accurate, but they don't, uh, put anything in its place and they don't, they, they tend to sort of, uh, land you in a somewhat nihilist position of saying okay because systems aren't eternally justified they're only justified by the arbitrary expression of power or uh right uh uh, yeah so i mean power is the sort of place you land up or even if you don't sort of buy into the political conception of it's all about power you still run into this tricky thing of okay if systems aren't eternally justified well then what is there you know (laughs) like like why why is that not catastrophic and so could, so could you just explicate yeah. why uh, what happened there cuz systems seem to be doing pretty good and then something yeah. happened <laughs> within the last 100 years where where all of this other stuff uh started to seem problematic so the the meaning yeah, okay. crisis as it were so if you feel it's helpful here but it's it no, seems no, it, to it, me it, that it, that would it, be it, it, it is helpful i'll just flag okay uh once i've done that we'll come back to to the, the example that i was going to give which is you know how does this relate <laughs> okay. to what's going on with you know social justice culture war stuff um because yeah cause yeah that, yeah um but okay so so yeah you're right let, let, let's backtrack a little bit too okay what what happened um so uh chapman's characterization of modernity is is that we were essentially attempting to um uh structure society around systematic eternalism Uh, and systematic eternalism is systematic in the keegan sense but it's also eternalistic in the broader sense developed in meaningness of uh, eternalism fixates meaning and denies nebulosity and attempts to put meaning on a secure foundation Mm um uh and part of the reason why Chapman would say uh, we tried to do this is that systematicity is very unnatural. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of evolutionarily basically unheard of, right? Uh, we spent most of our development never having to, to, you know, develop a system, a systematic mode of relating to meaning. It's alienating and uncomfortable in various ways. And mm-hmm. a lot of what we were trying to do uh, in making systematicity work 
was to simulate uh, characteristics of what he calls the choiceless, choiceless mode, w- uh, which is which is analogous to, um, or, or it, it's the sort of it's a civilizational uh, manifestation of of the stage three communal mode. So the choiceless mode of making meaning, which is characteristic of of pre modern um, societies, you can think about the sort of basic hunter gatherer tribe. Things just mean what they mean, and you just have the role that you have. And the idea that you would have to choose among different ways of making meaning doesn't really come up, right? So you look at the sacred totem pole in the center of town, and it's a sacred <laughs> totem pole, right? Like, yeah. uh, this, is my, this is my favorite example because it's like, like you know, I, I like I like these sort of um, uh, that's great, like anthropological myths of imagine a sort of primordial scene of I've got my sacred totem pole, there it is, a sacred totem pole, and then the yeah. guy from the other tribe shows up and he's like, "There's a totem pole." And you're like, no, it's a sacred totem pole. And he's like, it's just a totem pole. <laughs> and then you're, then you're like, what do you mean? And then, and then it, it's not quite literally true, but you can think of it yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, wait, hold on. The sacredness is not intrinsic to the totem pole. It's possible oh, to perceive right, it not right, right. a totem pole, but, but, but to, to, as just a totem pole. Oh shit. Yeah. You know, and then, and then, and then the sacredness comes to seem, well, is it arbitrary? Right. Like, mm-hmm. is it, is it like the moment it becomes possible to doubt? that yes. sacredness is, is intrinsic and things or whatever or your mode of, i mean more generally your mode of making meaning or your your tribe's mode of making meaning is when, once that becomes subject to doubt because not inevitable not eternal not shared by everybody well in the first instance you'd fight but then <laughs> then uh, <laughs> when, when that when that stops seeming functional you you have to develop a more contingent sense of 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 what's going on with your mode of make, making meaning and you have to see it not as uh, uh, eternal, eternally justified, the only possible way of making sense of things, but rather mm-hmm. that something that demands justification insofar as it's going to be valuable and, and right. that, that can vary among people, right? Yeah, and I mean, like you said, you would come back to, but we see this all the time happening in, let's say, Twitter and echo chambers or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the modern worlds. Okay, so so that's the yeah. that's the the driver of the the stage three to four transition. Now, why did systems break down? Um, there there are a lot of uh, okay, okay. So 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 to go back to what I was saying. Uh, it's not just that we were trying to make systematicity work. It's that because systematicity is so unnatural, we are trying to simulate many of the characteristics of choicelessness. Yeah. Um, in 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 our implementation of the of the systematic mode, so uh, one thing through that I will say is, that, yeah, through through eternalism, um, uh, which we're trying to replace the sort of uh, inevitability uh, that that meaning has in in the choiceless mode or the or the the givenness of meaning in the choiceless right, mode, right? With, with certainty, with certainty right. yeah, yeah, with with yeah, with certainty in the systematic mode. So we we like we're trying to get back the kind of. Uh, uh, comfort associated with the choiceless mode by yeah. okay yes we have to have these justifications but the justifications have a bedrock and that justif- and that bedrock is certain and if we can build up our systems on the basis of a certain bedrock well then we don't have the same disor- disorientation um, that that systematicity or, or that that um, different ways of making meaning threat threaten to unleash you know like like if if, if there are different ways of making meaning. The threat is, oh my God, it's all arbitrary. Oh my God, oh my God, nihilism, right? Uh, mm. uh, or, oh my God, we're never going to be able to cooperate or whatever. Uh, 
and and so the way you stave <laughs> off that threat if if you view that as fundamentally threatening which you would coming out of the choiceless mode is to ground your systems on sta- stable foundations um and so it, it, it makes yeah, me think ahead. of the religious argument that but what if if there's no god you would you just think everyone should be able to rape and murder as much as they want and you're like right. no but i don't want to rape and murder <laughs> it's not because yeah, there's yeah. a god yeah well but you can see why i mean like so yeah you and i you and i share the same that's the same type of fear i mean if there's no eternally uh and when you can see like you just said okay i don't want to rape and murder but what if you did <laughs> some people do you know like uh right, uh, right. you know that that's that, that's a problem you yeah. know what i mean maybe like, keep that like, to yourself man but all right 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 <laughs> uh uh uh, but but, but that that is that is the fear, right? Right? Like if, yeah, if, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. Uh, sure. If you can't, if there's no uh, external, uh, undoubtable foundation for these kinds of things, well, yeah. then you know how are they? How are they sustained? Um, okay, so modernity in Chapman's characterization is characterized by systematic eternalism, um, you know, which is about trying to simulate some of the characteristics of of choicelessness within systematicity. And that can't work uh, for all the reasons that we've talked about eternalism failing, the core one being nebulosity. Um, and so that started to fail in various ways. Now, uh, to understand what is nebulosity with respect to systems, you have to understand what characterizes the systematic mode. Because um, every, every, every way of making sense of things is going to have nebulosity. That's part of what drives development, right? Is, is you have a way of making sense of things but the world doesn't perfectly conform to that way of making sense of things. So it's nebulous with respect to your, your, your way of making sense. And then you might develop a more complex way of making sense, which doesn't mean you've banished nebulosity as a whole, but there's more that you can accommodate, you know, in, in your, in your way of making sense. So to understand what is nebulosity with respect to, um, systematicity you have to understand the the characteristics of the systematic mode and the three according to chapman are rationality universality and coherence um Mm -hmm. and uh we've talked a bunch about rationality i I don't know if you you want to get back into um that but universality is key uh also in in again we're talking about uh, you know it has to be a mode of making meaning a, a mode of relating to meaning that supersedes parochial tribal uh uh concerns right or 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 ways of making sense of things it has to pretend to universality at at the very least it has to be universal enough that you know you (laughs) can make a case that it's universal right like like uh um and there are things that are universal enough that they work so so you know one of the uh foundations of modern kind of liberal democracy is that the desire to not die a violent death uh, this is sort of like a hobbes i think i think hobbes was the guy who like sort of really really specified this like okay we can at least say it's universal that human beings don't want to die a violent death right <laughs> and and, and, and that sounds that sounds obvious right and like and like trivial to us now but in a pre-modern context there may be many reasons you want to die a violent death one of which yeah, is like the glory of your nation and, or your god or yeah, honor yeah, or what, yeah. yeah whatever else getting right? to Valhalla and and, yeah. and and some of these things are are you know uh, uh rearing their their ugly heads again right like like uh you know you see this in in uh russia and ukraine to some extent that that uh 
there, there, there are plenty of people now on, on the political stage that want to question a lot of these sort of core foundations of, of, of liberalism. Um, mm. And, and partly for reasons that have to do with that, these, these pretensions to universality were not totally true. Right. Um, and, and couldn't have been totally true. Uh, it's a pretty good thing to say, yeah, it's basically universal that people don't want to die a violent death and it's not totally universal. And there, you know, and, and, and th- that, is, that is a, um, a contestable uh, uni- universalist claim, but that's the kind of thing that 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 we're talking about here when we talk about universality being characteristic of the systematic mode. Um, and there there are many many other examples of that. But then the idea was to 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 take these sort of universal foundations and then build up your your systems atop them and then run society according to that. And um, rationality, universality, and coherence all began to fail in various ways. Uh, through through the 19th century and then into the early 20th century uh, and then the 20th century on chapman's account consisted of a series of reactions to the breakdown of 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 systematic eternalism um where we were trying to get back the functional characteristics of the systematic mode or or some of them while also revising other pieces of it and blaming different pieces of it to um uh to try to fix what went wrong about it Okay, so but all but all of this is, generally speaking, because we're afraid of the nihilistic abyss. Yeah, it's not just uh, it's not just the sort of um, the eternalism piece is because we're afraid of it's because we're afraid of the the nihilistic abyss. But 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 also uh, there are plenty of other more you know like less existential concerns of just like how are we going to run a society? You know, how are we going to like not fight war? You know, like, like, uh, there, there are plenty of pragmatic concerns too, but the, the eternalism drive is, is partly motivated by the, the threat of the nihilistic abyss. Yeah. So the reason I ask is because like, okay, so we have the choiceless mode, la da 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 the totem pole, everything is fine and dandy. Uh, <laughs> except for if you take a Deutsch's line and, and how, horribly coercive it was and it was all just horrible um well okay so, so, uh, 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 co- coercive is an interesting uh uh way of putting it because uh within it's kind of relieving mode, it's nice in in a way yeah yeah well, and th- this is the thing is is the conception of that as being coercive depends on a conception of self for whom there there, there are alter- alternatives and that's a modern conception oh, of self. Right. you know um but but yeah uh, keep going yeah, that's very interesting, though. Um, but uh, yeah, and then you go into the systematic uh, uh, stuff, and uh, we have all our systems, and we have our universal bedrock of justification that's eternal. Um, and then that doesn't seem to work anymore, and now we're terrified. But I, I don't, like, what is the, and I don't mean this to sound arrogant, uh, I, I don't feel that way. To me, it's exhilarating. Yeah. Like I don't need the eternal justification, and yet I find tons of meaning, and uh, find that to be a ju- sense of excitement instead, and uh, possibly more meaning in my life. So why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> what are we? What's the mistake there? Why is it so uh, terrifying for people rather than exhilarating? Yeah. Well, so it, it, it's very difficult to relate to some of their the the fears that animated people at the beginning of the 20th century just because right. you and i and every other modern uh or contemporary person has grown up with these things sort of being in the water 
But you mm. can relate to it probably better than you think you can if you just go back to our very early conversations when the, the Deutsche view was yeah, right, right, right. destabilized for you a little bit. Right, that, That's extremely destabilizing to have one's wholesale way of making sense of the world and mm-hmm. what one considers to be the, the, the basis according to which, you know, y- yeah, the world is yeah. comprehensible at all. When that's pe- those pieces start moving around, that's that's uncomfortable. That's very destabilizing. Yeah. Well, um, and is it so all just a sham? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Or, or or even just go back to you know like like um, child childhood circumstances and 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 you know naive conceptions of the way that, uh, of making sense of the world. When those started to get destabilized, it's very uncomfortable. Um, and, like da- uh, dad is a superhero, and then you find out he's afraid of ghosts, and you're like, but. Who am I gonna exactly. go to? <laughs> like, yeah, what's yeah, going exactly. on, dude? Well, you know, yeah. or, or 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 you know, I, I'm working my job, um, but 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 you know, it's making me less pleasant in my relationship or something like that. And and how do mm-hmm. I man- negotiate the needs of my relationship versus my job? And and to whom do I owe what? And you know, uh, yeah, uh, they're not they're not as alien as they might seem. I guess what I want to get to is that, but but it is all mistaken. And Chapman is trying to outline the better alternative here why we don't have to sink into nihilism because of this right yeah yeah well we we, we talked about that a bunch in in, in prior episodes of, of why eternalism is is wrong but but that yeah. doesn't mean nihilism so so yeah, yeah um yes uh the that that's the that's the sort of overall view is is, is eternalism was never true that doesn't solve for you the problem of okay what's going to replace systematicity it just means that syst- systematic eternalism can be false without systems being useless or, or, yes. you know, uh, uh, impossible to sustain. Um, so, okay. To go back to some of the history and this, this will answer some of your question of, of, you know, why did it break down and why was that, did that seem so stabilizing? So if you, if you, um, well, so first off, uh, to go back to these characteristics of rationality, universality, and coherence, um, rationality started to, undermine its own foundations in a way uh uh toward the end of the 19th century or early 20th century so uh there are a bunch of examples of this one was the the foundational crisis in mathematics so so hilbert had this program of of, we're going to try to uh oh i I think i think bertrand russell is the one who actually tried to to, um you know execute it but or or one of the people who did but um of we're gonna we're gonna you know start with start with logic logic have have certain logical axioms that 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 we can take to be axiomatic and then and then reconstruct the whole of mathematics atop that that you know undoubtable foundational logical uh uh, set of logical axioms and then (laughs) we will have put at least mathematics on a secure foundation you know wink wink nudge nudge then we can do everything else (laughs) you know like uh you know like it wasn't a totally unreasonable thing to do given you know how much power we've gotten out of systematicity i mean think about how much the world changed in you know 300 years right um um uh between the early early 1600s and early uh 1900s i mean like like you know it was not a ridiculous idea to be like oh man if we just keep moving in this direction like every every, everything is gonna uh you know um and 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 you know at that point the direction was conceived partly partly as as including this sort of foundationalist project but anyway okay so there's the foundational crisis in mathematics that that failed you had all these incompleteness results and and things like that um you had the replacement of newtonian uh mechanics by by relativity which was way more destabilizing than than uh 
is is you know and it's clear to us now why why it should be i mean i mean that was a, a major sort of wholesale revolution it's like you you'd finally gotten like you know a scientific conception of, of of the physical world that was like remarkably powerful and then not only could it be improved upon but it could be wholesale revised such that such that you know w- the status of newtonian mechanics was 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 called into question and then you're like okay if 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 that solid a foundation the sort of most robust part of our knowledge base can be wholesale revised and replaced uh then the whole way our 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 knowledge relates to the world kind of goes into question right like right holy yeah. shit you know the, the, like the most stable thing can can be totally transformed you know um yeah. and uh just to you know give a nod to the crit rats the paparian because a lot of the crit rats will be like okay but we know foundationalism is false justificationism is bullshit whatever but but i mean <laughs> yeah. the paparian conception of epistemology was in part a reaction to some of these things right so paparian was hanging out among the logical positivists and uh, paparian pa- popper was hanging out among the, the logical positivists <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh and uh uh you know they were a, a lot of them were engaged in this in this sort of foundational project and and part of popper saying you know there's no foundation to be found was to try to have a conception of 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 knowledge that could uh, accommodate what was happening in physics you know so um mm. he, he he was he was in this world but uh i love when things come together like that man yeah you know it it, it, it it is satisfying i mean so, so so the whole popperian idea that that's like now in the water about science that science is perpetually fallible that that uh even though it progresses it doesn't progress in this sort of steady accumulation way exactly and that it's all conjectural and all of that i mean uh that is a a a new conception of science that was developed in react it's it's not new now but but it was new then developed in reaction to what was going on in science that that did you know challenge prior conceptions of how science worked so so uh yeah it's obvious for us now wasn't it all obvious then and and popper was in part trying to make it make sense Mm -hmm. um Anyway, so so uh, that that was what was going on in sort of the the rationality front, the, the epistemological front, but but there were all sorts of other things. I mean, so so there was the First World War, which challenges the sort of which you know everybody walked away from feeling like it was very arbitrary. Which then, if you have this sort of most carnage ever wrought in history by uh, these sort of agreements among ostensibly rational nation states, well, then the foundation for those rational nation state starts to seem highly questionable if the whole reason we set up these you know the like westphalian nation state was to avert the kinds of uh religious wars that were racking europe uh but then these ostensibly rational nation states can still go to war for what seem like totally arbitrary reasons and you know you have the horrible carnage of the first world war that starts to shake the foundations of your your rational nation state too right so 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 more and more of these um f- foundations of 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 uh system systematic society are starting to to break up uh starting in the in the in the 20th century um and then uh well not i should say not starting in the 20th century but but culminating in the in the beginning of the 20th century um right. so those are those are among the reasons it started to break down so rationality undermining its own foundations you know, the rational nation states not proving uh, themselves capable of averting massive conflict, lots of, lots of things going on then. And then, uh, you know, there were all these reactions to 
the rational modes of economic organization or systematic modes of economic organization being uh, in various ways like uh, both unnatural for people. So so we've talked about how the systematic mode is is unnatural and we want to simulate many of the characteristics of choicelessness to whatever extent we can, but it's still not perfect. So you have these, you know, Marxian ideas of alienation of, of the individual by you know you got this max weber idea i think it's max weber of of the iron cage of rationality like there are all these reactions to the way systematicity is sort of unnatural for the individual you got freud talking about how uh you know even though society holds us in check we have all these unconscious desires that that show up in various neuroses because they're suppressed and like there's there's all this stuff going on of like okay we can't make systematic eternalism work (laughs) right (laughs) um yeah and uh by by circa 1914ish that that all sort of you know had come to a head uh, it's not that there was one one definitive you know date on the calendar but but those were the trends in the air and then throughout the 20th century uh, on Chapman's account we were sort of reacting to the breakdown of of systematicity uh uh and you can think of some of these major ideologies of the 20th century as being as being reactions to that. So totalitarianism is trying to make uh, meanings, uh, impose meanings by force, essentially. So if, if it's not the case that your sort of universalist assumptions about human nature and, and humans' relationships to society can be uh, autonomously chosen, well, then we can impose them by force and still make, still, still uphold the order within a society, right? So totalitarianism is in some sense, some sense doing that. Um, existentialism, was in some sense saying, okay, if meaning is not objective, uh, pre-given in the world, uh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's subjective. Maybe we can make our own meanings, and that was mm-hmm. also a reaction to totalitarianism. So, okay, if if the the state imposing meanings from without um, is is dysfunctional in various ways, harmful in various ways, the reaction to that is going to be, no, I make my meaning from within. I'm not going to be subject to the sort of uh, brainwashing of a totalitarian society i'm going to be nobly resisting against that so that's existentialism is another reaction and then uh in the u.s you had these these two and not just in the u.s but but you had these uh two countercultures which uh so the the hippie counterculture is the sort of common one that people think of and chapman will call that monist counterculture because it's about denying boundaries denying hierarchies denying uh um uh yeah, or, or, or obliterating those things. And then what he would call the dualist counterculture, which is uh, the evangelicals, the moral majority, the fundamentalist Christians, and uh, not just Christians, but but the sort of fundamentalist religious. Yeah. And that was going in the other direction of hardening boundaries, stiffening hierarchies, etc. But despite them being sort of superficially opposed and, and opposed to one another in, in the culture war, they were both... Uh, um, structurally very similar in that they thought that the way to get back a lot of what was valuable, and it, obviously it's not it's not consciously thought by everybody in these things, but but uh, a lot of the way to get back a lot of what was valuable about both the choiceless mode and systematic eternalism was to get rid of rationality. So rationality was the the sort of villain in the in the story <laughs> that made everything <laughs> bad, and so they were both anti rational uh, and sort of flagrantly anti rational in various ways. You know, either either because they, you know, subscribe to some woo-woo uh, new age spirituality or because they're like, you know, the Bible's literally true or whatever else. 
And, yeah. um, but, but what, what they got back or aspired to get back was universality because both of them said that what was true for them was true for everybody. And they were trying to recruit everybody to their cause. Um, and, and coherence, the, the countercultures were, were very sort of, uh, they had an, like an aesthetic unity to them that we haven't seen in society since. So it's not an accident that you still listen to music like, you know, classic rock from, from the 1960s uh, mm. the music of the counterculture was what like that it, it, it had a uh a depth to it that is very hard to to get back in modern societies um and and you can think of that as as being the kind of thing that that all culture would have had or, or much culture would have had in, in the systematic mode when it was functioning and the counterculture has got that back to some extent but but uh yeah at the expense of, of rationality um and then they failed because the universalism piece didn't work, among other things, and because rationality is good. Then Chapman would say <laughs> there was the subculture, subcultural mode, but subcultures are sort of parasitic on larger systematic society, and so they're not, they're not, um, they, they're not a basis for running societies on their own. And then he would say we were in the atomized mode now, and that that completes the, the history. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I, I think we're gonna have to. Um, ended here and then uh get some more feedback from people listening to this uh i'm gonna do the same myself listen to it and ponder some more things and then i think we can do do a part two to this because i think there's a lot left to say that we didn't have time to cover today so uh, how does that sound that sounds great to me uh yeah i i, I look forward to hearing people's questions but the, the, hopefully this will serve as a good way of having laid laid the foundations of of keegan's theory and then and then how chapman applies it um but i'm sure people have lots of questions and concerns so i look forward to hearing them. that's great man thanks a million it's always uh so much fun you're uh <laughs> you're a true fountain of wisdom and i mean you you yeah i think you often underplay your own uh, knowledge and expertise. So it's I'm super very much fun. Cha- I'm, I'm cha- channeling here, as you know. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I, uh, I'm parasitic off of, of, of Chapman's wisdom here, but yeah, it's 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 a blast. <laughs> All right, man. Till next time. Take care.